And welcome to another episode of the Firearms Chat Podcast. And it is Thursday, May 4th, and uh, my co-host Greg had something to say about this. Greg? This is our 150th show, which means it's our sesquicentennial, and it's being held on Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. (laughs) Very good, Greg. Very good. Okay. So... (laughs) Thank you for the applause. Because it's our 150th show, we have uh, a couple of extra voices in here tonight. Besides my regular co-host, Greg, uh, we have our one of our rotating uh, co-hosts, uh, Gil Brumana. Gilbert, how you doing? Doing great. Happy to be here. Happy 150th. And glad you can be a part of it. And we have two guests. Both of them are from our network that we belong, our podcast podcast network. I'm so excited. I'm fumbling my words, folks. Uh, <laughs> the the self, Self-Defense Radio Network. Right, like that's never happened, Greg. Uh, the <laughs> Self-Defense Radio Network, selfdefenseradio.net. I read it every week, and I'm going to do the reads in a minute, but I want to get these guys introduced. First of all, the co-founder of the network and the Head honcho at the Politics and Guns podcast, Paul Laker. Paul, how you doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for asking me. Come on, man. I'm glad you were able to make it finally. You know, I know we had a couple of instances where it wasn't going to work right. Uh, things didn't work out. And tonight it's working out great. And uh, also, the newest show on the network, uh, their host, R.J. Martinez, Remso Martinez. Remso, how you doing? Sir, it's great to be here, and may the force be with you. And you do not have to call me sir. I am out of the Army 25 years, but thank you very much for the respect. And I think Bill wanted to get those introductions in, so now nobody has deniability that they were here. Exactly. That's, that's the other part of it. So our show reads. We are the Firearms Chat Podcast. Find us at firearmschat.com. My email is firearmschat at gmail. Greg's email is techgreg at hotmail or techgreg at gmail.com. We are members, as I said, of the Self-Defense Radio Network, selfdefenseradio.net. And our page is selfdefenseradio.net forward slash firearmschat. And you can also find us on Facebook at firearmschat. And we are also members of the Mile High Radio Network, milehiradio.com. And we finally have a sponsor. Yes, we do. Uh, Nielsen Training and Consulting, and they are Brother Oath Keepers, who now have a new AR parts line. They are the primary sponsor of the Firearms Chat Podcast, nielsentraining.com. And uh, check them out. They're in uh, California, Utah, and Arizona, and uh, they are a fantastic uh, group of trainers. Uh, some people coming out of there have said that the training was as good as Gunsight, if not better. So, and you get that for like one tenth the price. So check them out. And uh, plausible deniability. John Stankowitz, head of Nielsen, Arizona, is a friend of mine. But hey, that's the way it goes, right? Uh, so, 
we have the show. I got to say, but if I could interrupt you, that's a great looking website they've got. I just pulled it up as you were talking about it. Yes. And they're making some changes to it. If that, if you think that's great, they're doing even better. Cool. And their AR parts line, I was impressed that it wasn't your standard, uh, your standard stuff that you see on every site. Um, they've got some really sharp looking stuff on there. Yeah, I was going to pick up the compensator until I found out they're not making any in pistol caliber carbine yet. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to get that uh, I'm going to get that ambidextrous safety, and I'm going to run a review on that uh, along with the, the Battle Comp Enterprises, uh, probably the 2.0. They're coming out with a 3.0. All right, let's get started. Uh, before we get to the uh, emailed agenda. Uh, we have this issue that happened at the NRA annual meeting with their new insurance carry guard. And uh, what happened was a couple of organizations that have been regular NRA annual meeting uh, displayers uh, uh, were disinvited because they didn't want, I guess, competing stuff with the, you know, competing product stuff, uh, you know, uh, I, I've done some looking and some shopping this week. Uh, I'm a, uh, and uh, disclaimer, I'm a basic uh, USCGA member, but I'm thinking of whether or not I'm going to go up higher or change. And I want to not be a number, like was mentioned uh, on Facebook by uh, one of our gentlemen, but I believe it was you, Paul, this week. So, I'm seriously considering uh, giving Marty and Gila my money instead of uh, Tim Schmidt. So you guys, uh, some of your thoughts about that. Uh, listen, I, I was away from the NRA for five years. and uh, uh, Excuse me, I was away for about seven years. and came back five years ago. Uh, so this was the first year I got to vote on a ballot again in a long time. Uh, but I would never not be a member. But that just seems kind of fishy to me. So, Greg, you first. How you doing? Well, you know, this was one of those things where um, I understand why they did it, but I thought it could could have been done better. I guess I um, I I expected that if the NRA was going to roll out something like this, that they would have gone to the other providers and said, "Hey." This is what's going to happen. How do you want to handle it? And then if somebody wants to pull out, no problem. If they want to stay, no problem. You know, and that that would have been the least amount of turbulence uh, in the whole event. And it it almost seems like it shouldn't have been that big of a deal. I mean, I I I don't see this as a, a real stretch for the NRA. But um, I mean, with all their training. Uh, facilities and, and all their, their trainers that they have uh, set up right now, this was just the next natural step, I would think. Um, but, you know, maybe we have, uh, maybe there's some other opinions here. Yeah, let's uh, let's roll down the panel. Uh, Paul Lather, your thoughts? Well, a couple things. Um, I've done several interviews about this uh, for episode 410, which is uh, yet several weeks down the road. Um, I cannot, I got told some stuff off the air and off the record 
and I will not reveal who told it to me, but I can say I spoke with several different people in the in the arena. And uh, I'll just leave it at this. The way it was done was not exactly above the board. Uh, the way the NRA pulled this was not exactly above the board. Um, what I would like, like to What do you mean up, by that, if you don't mind me jumping in? What do you mean by that? Meaning that uh, liberties were taken by the NRA. And I'll leave, okay. that's all I can really say. Gotcha. Uh, I, was, I was asked not to give out details um, <clears throat> by the person. That and, you know, I'll, I'll say that's, that's one of the worst things that happened to me at SHOT Show. I learned so much. And, uh, you know, then they would say, oh, by the way, don't mention that yet. And it was like, oh, you've got to be kidding. I left SHOT Show with <laughs> half the stuff I knew not being able to be published. Well, um, yeah, I, I have a lot of friends that are around the training and around the personal prote- the protection of I, – I will not say insurance because I think it's really important that we make a distinction. There are two ways you can protect yourself if you are involved in a situation and you are arrested and 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 you've got you use your gun in self-defense. You get arrested and you need help. There are two forms of uh, protection that are available: insurance and membership into a group. Now, right. insurance it, by law. You cannot get paid in the commission of a crime. So, therefore, if you get insurance, which is what the NRA is selling, if you get insurance, you have to go and pay for your attorney. And it has to go through court, and you have to pay for all the court costs. You have to pay for the expert witnesses. All the uh, money that goes to Keep you out of jail comes out of your own pocket. When it's all done in court, once it's finally been either found that you are totally not guilty on all counts or the cases have been dropped without prejudice, and that's the key. They cannot be brought up again if they're dropped without prejudice. Once one of those two things happens, then you get to go and fight with the insurance company to try and get your money. And you may get it. With the with the membership organizations like USC, well, I'm not quite positive about USCTA, but I think that's how they run. Like Second Call Defense, and I know that's how they run. Like right. ACLDN, and I know that's how they run. Your that money is there for you right now. They pay for the retainer for your attorney right away. They pay money to get you out of jail, to pay your bail right away. Uh, insurance, you got to come up with that yourself, man. And so I would strongly encourage anybody listening to this, if you're going to get coverage to help you, get into a membership organization. Do not buy insurance of any type from anywhere. That's that's my first thought. Good point. Uh, second, uh, second thought is... Yeah, excellent point. Uh, the second thought on this is, is the training part of it. Uh, have you guys seen the... God bless the, the the special forces people. They they picked up up to run this thing, but um, <laughs> I don't see a whole lot of civilian training in their history. 
Yeah, and, and that was one of the, the statements made was even though that it was armed forces or ex-armed forces that were putting this training together, that it would be very civilian-oriented. Yeah, okay. Yeah, how what's is their, that? What's their i got to ask you. With civilian, what's their experience with civilian training that allows them to do that? I know well, hundreds of trainers. I know several national-level trainers personally that have Years and years and years of experience teaching civilians. He does, and they're and and they don't. They, none of them, to my knowledge, were contacted. Again, I've talked to a lot of them over the past few weeks. I can't say I've talked to everybody I know in the training field, but I've talked to a lot of people because this this thing does bug me a lot. Well, Paul, let me ask you a question. Uh, is it true that they picked up uh, Kyle Lamb and Larry Vickers to be part of this, at least on a consultational level? I've heard that. I cannot. I cannot say for sure. I, I don't know for okay. a fact they have. I've heard that. Because those are two guys who are very well known in the community and who are training law enforcement and civilians now. At least Vickers is. Lamb is doing stuff on Guns and Ammo TV. Yeah. So. I would say for anybody, if you're going to be getting training, it, it, there are three uh, areas of training for for weaponry of any type. There is the military, and there's police, and there's civilian. All three are entirely different things. Yes, the, the military is about taking weaponry and taking and, and holding and re, uh, an objective and repelling attacks. That's military, and it's team tactics. You don't get individual tactics. Police is usually team tactics, and it's about taking control of people. There are There is some individual tactics in police training, but it's all about taking control of a person. Civilian is entirely getting yourself out of trouble. CYA. Yeah. Get the situation safe. And that whether the bad guy is captured or not really doesn't matter to us. It's just the bad guy stops trying to harm us. That's our only goal. So correct. Um, they're, they're, of the three things that the average citizen needs, they need civilian training. And and just because somebody used to be in the military, look, my dad was military. He didn't. And 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 every time I hear my uncle Billy Bob taught me about. Taking guns, <laughs> doing this and that, and, and he taught me everything I need to know. I didn't don't need to go to your class. I just, you know, <laughs> good luck to you, man, and I hope you never have to use your gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. Uh, all right, I had to step away for a second, so uh, I guess we're going to Remso next, and and again. He mentioned that he was the youngest of the five of us. So maybe, Renzo, you're not sure that you have a a full opinion on this. I wouldn't understand. Yeah, this this is something that I recently just heard about, so I don't want to make any sudden claims. But, you know, just kind of like an outsider looking in on the specific situation. I mean, what does it say when you you pull out from a great venue where you're going to get to expose your product or your business or service because somebody else is coming in? And please correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, just from a consumer perspective, if I know that business A and, 
you know, Group B and all these other people are pulling out because somebody that's in the same field of service is coming in, instantly I'm going to look at all of those different businesses and organizations and say, well, hmm, if they're afraid to be seen in the same area of them, is it because they're giving us an inferior product? Are they giving an inferior business? If anything, I think it makes those specific sponsors, you know, and vendors actually look worse than if they had just, you know, had a gripe or a problem and still come. Well, if if I could jump in there, these people were not, these people were disinvited. The NRA at their show said, look, we don't want you here. They weren't, they didn't say, well, if the NRA is going to do this, we're not going to show. They were told you're not going to show up because we're doing this. Okay, gotcha. That that was the that was yeah. the worst part of it was that they everybody had been invited, everybody had accepted, they all had made their plans to show up to the annual meeting, and then the NRA just said, you know what, we're going to roll it out, so you guys don't bother coming. And Heck, that's at that what, point, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm sorry to interrupt. I mean, just looking at the damage control on that, knowing that information now, I'm, I apologize. If, you had mentioned that at the beginning, and I must not have caught that. But, you know, at this point, if I were one of them, I'd be using this as a sales pitch. I'd yeah. be like, look, they're so afraid of us, they just invited <laughs> us. And yeah. now look what we're doing. Let's compare services. I mean, I, I could tell that some of them might be going on damage control, but, heck, this sounds like a great sales opportunity for them. The NRA must have just delivered a giant favor for those people they disinvited. So, well, you know, hey, Remso, Remso's a marketer. Somebody hire him. Somebody <laughs> hire him to do marketing. You, you know, I, well, you know, uh, I was going to say it's it's all about spin because uh, you know they're all going to have to put a positive spin on it. But of course, the NRA. Um, somebody mentioned that even if only half of the NRA trainers uh, take up this product, then they're still going to have a hundred thousand trainers instantly in the market. And that's that's going to make a huge difference. And if NRA can pull in the bucks on this like they do from their membership, then it's going to make a huge difference in the pricing. So I'm kind of interested to see what's going to happen with the pricing of the products between the companies because it, I think we're going to see quite a bit of upset going on here. Well, they're getting plenty of money from me because I just switched from a yearly membership to a three-year membership this year. So they're getting some extra <laughs> money from me. Um, Gil, I know you don't have much of an opinion on this, but obviously as a trainer, this has to bug you on some level. Yeah, well, it, it, it does, especially, you know, finding out, you know, the business practice that was extended by the NRA at the NRA show. I mean, that, uh, and, and, you know, that seems to be a, a thing in corporate America now. I mean, I'm just going to go in general in corporate America. It's if you're, if you're rolling out a product, you know, you don't want to give, uh, you know, mouth service to anybody who has a competing product. I mean, nobody, nobody wants to do, um, you know, everybody wants to corner the market. Nobody wants to have a free market anymore. Uh, so they try to eliminate the competition. And that's that's sad because competition is healthy for everybody's business. Um, so, 
you know, I, I think the NRA could have done much better with rolling out their own products. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I just tell people in my classes who might ask about this, you know, after the fact that to just do, you know, shop around, do your due diligence, find somebody like Paul said that will, uh, you know, cover your expenses up front, uh, as far as, um, uh, bail and, and, uh, attorney's fees and, you know, that type of stuff. It, it's just, it's just bad, bad business, uh, in my opinion on the NRA. It is, it is. And, and, you know, it's also a PR fiasco. So with that, we're going to move yeah. from one PR fiasco in the gun business to another one. <laughs> Uh, yeah. this, this whole Illinois uh, firearms manufacturing thing oh. that uh, Rock River and Springfield Armory pulled out of because they had no idea that their lobbyists were con- were contributing to anti-gun. And, you know, the deeper they dig Springfield, the more of a PR fiasco it's becoming. And, you mm-hmm. know, I'll, disclaimer right here, I own two M1s. I had an M1A and an M1 with an E2 stock. Love them to death. Not going to stop shooting the 1A. Don't shoot the E2 anymore. That stock's very valuable. But I, and I wanted to buy an EMP4 this year. But if this is not, if this is the way uh, Dennis Reese is going to behave, uh, I don't think they deserve my money. I could put that money into a different firearm for a company that's not funding or their lobbyists or. or not funding anti-gun initiatives because let's face it yeah the, they they had a carve out that they knew about both these companies knew about this that the that the state of illinois was carving out parts of the law for them that they would not be affected neither would parts manufacturers be affected but who would be affected uh the, the bottom of the chain the gun shop owners they could be closed at any minute on a whim yeah. So, uh, you know, I think Springfield's a little too little, a little too late. And I think this is going to suffer, maybe not in their rifle sales, but certainly in their, their handgun sales. So uh, what say my trusty panel for the 150th, starting with my regular co-host, Greg? Well, you know, and, and this is the problem, is that when you read this story, um, I, I think it was, uh, what was it, Truth About Guns that, that broke it? And yep. uh, they they showed, I mean, in their article, they showed f- uh, photos uh, of all of the donations. They had followed all of the donations. They had done their due diligence. They did a heck of a job proving that the the marketing firm had or the lobbying firm had done what they claimed they had done of course the reason that companies like Springfield and Rock River make lobbying firms is so they can have distance from them in case something goes wrong so it all comes down to which story you believe do you believe that Springfield was guiding the lobbyist knew all about this and, you know, just decided to dump them at the last minute because everything went belly up? Or do you believe that that's really what happened, that the lobbyist was operating kind of semi-automatically and, and uh, you know, Springfield and Rock River were oblivious to the, the whole thing and it was 
you know, they were innocent. And really, this is all going to come down to, A, who they sacrifice, who's going to be the sacrificial goat, and B, how well they, they spin it to the public. Because, it, well, like uh, Bill, you mentioned, Hank Strange already has videos on YouTube. I, I watched, I think, three of them where he's mm-hmm. just bash, 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 bash. So it's already out there where they're, you know, they're saying, oh, and uh, one, uh, one big uh, gun uh, retailer is selling off all of its Springfield and Rock River lines. Yes. And they're not going to carry them anymore. So the the damage is already happening. It's going to be how fast can Springfield and Rock River stop it and try and regain some traction with the public? Okay, we're going to go in reverse this time. Uh, Gil. Well, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I was just reading up on this uh, today and catching up with Hank Strange and else. And my... My opinion is is this Springfield and Rock River. I mean, they're they're bigger companies. They you know contribute to these these lobbying uh, firms to in order to you know push the the you know gun friendly agenda in in certain states. Illinois is definitely not a gun friendly state, <laughs> but they. Um, you know they they have a disconnect they they throw they throw you know lobbying money at these lobbying firms to have them go out and fight for them but then they don't they don't uh um uh, you know follow up as they should um you know they they might keep in touch here and there with corporate emails and else but they don't follow up uh they just expect them to do what they think they paid them for and that's not the case especially in in uh, states that are not friendly to the firearms industry. Um, I am I'm sure that there have, there's people in the IFMA that <clears throat> are anti-gun who have gotten in there to try to undermine the lobbying and with them contributing to several anti-gun democratic uh, um, politicians, uh, I would say they, they succeeded in that. And what Springfield Armory and Rock River need to do is they need to just come clean, like what like, uh, Hank Strange said. They need to say, okay, we screwed up. Uh, we, we thought these guys were working for us, and they obviously weren't. It was our mistake for backing them or, or having them back us. And uh, we, are, we are fixing this as we speak. I mean, they need to do something like that instead of try to push blame off, on, uh, off of themselves and on to somebody who um, they backed. So right, and as of this evening, both of those companies have pulled out of the IFMA. So I think that I think it may fall apart at some point because those are the two largest manufacturers in the state of Illinois. Yeah, well, they they, they pulled out of that, and yeah, that'll probably collapse the the organization. But they need to publicly own up that they yeah. screwed up. You know, uh, they need to, I mean, the statements that they released, both the companies released, they all put, they they put all the blame on, on the, the lobbying organization saying they did not, they were not correctly informed as to what they were doing. And they just need to change that. They need to say, okay, it doesn't matter whether we were correctly informed or not. We screwed up by backing these people. Right. 
exactly. Uh, Remso. Yeah, just like the previous story, I mean, this is just another PR fiasco. I'm definitely, you know, interested to hear what's going to come up within the next, you know, couple of days and weeks or so. But, you know, just in dealing with, with lobbyists, especially professional lobbyists that anyone can get in contact with and get a contract going for things. Um, I, I remember several years back, I was working on a project for an organization I was working for. We reached across the aisle, and we were actually working with the Coalition for Public Safety in terms of, I think it was uh, criminal justice reform, uh, mandatory minimum sentencing. It, it was a joint project, you know, something to make it look good where you have conservatives and progressives working on the same side. And I remember at this event we were hosting with them, um, I spoke to a professional lobbyist and, you know, just trying to understand kind of what he did, the environment we were do- we, he was working in. And we were in D.C. too, so obviously he always had customers. But, but when, it comes awesome. to a situation, when it comes to a situation like this, I mean, the one thing that he told me that just keeps kind of jumping in my head as I'm hearing the story is he, he looked me in the eyes and he said, you know, when, when it comes to dealing with lobbyists like me, believe half of what you hear and none of I'm sorry, believe half mm-hmm. of what you see and none of what you hear. So I'm definitely exactly. curious to see how those companies are going to, you know, kind of spin this, take control of the narrative. But then the other question is, well, then what are these lobbyists going to say? Because they're going to release a statement too, and they might provide, I don't know, a little bit more damning evidence than what people have been seeing. So this is a murky situation. I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, worrisome about, but yeah. Yeah, and see, this is my thing and with this. You are the CEO of the company. You hired the lobbying firm. It's your mistake. You can't just own up for it. You're going to own up for it at one point. You can't just own up for it. But at this point, you need to resign or you're going to wait to be fired. You know, Bill, I... I the the one thing that bothers me is i guess that no one so far has stepped up and said we screwed up we're sorry we're moving on exactly and you know i think the last time corporate america actually did that was with the uh, poisoning of the tylenol and you know mm-hmm. tylenol pulled went out to every store in america and pulled everything off the shelves and had it destroyed that cost them an absolute fortune. But when they did that, America went, okay, that was the right thing to do. And, and we can trust this brand. Right, and they didn't hassle Tylenol nearly as much as they could have. I mean, they could have drove into bankruptcy, but they didn't because Tylenol did the right thing. And while that's a very extreme example uh, you know, no one does that anymore. Corporate America doesn't step up and just say, we blew it. We we were trying to play both ends of the field, and hey, we got caught. We're sorry. I mean, you can't and, and nobody, in, nobody in corporate America take, you know, you know, takes responsibility for anything. That's, you know, right. the way it is in, in all of America nowadays. That, that everybody, you know, uh, CEOs, board members, and everybody else are all so afraid for their job, they they just look for scapegoats to push the blame on them. Yeah, really. Paul, you, we haven't heard from you yet. Well, I, I don't mean to rain on everybody's parade, but I'm going <laughs> to a little bit. Uh, but he's going to. I absolutely am, a little bit. I have a big problem with the truth about guns. More specifically, I have a big problem with Robert Perigo. 
Okay. Uh, I met Mr. Farago at Gun Rights Policy Conference 2012 in Orlando. How I met him is he was absolutely haranguing Emily Miller. And he cornered her, and uh, he cornered her and tried to do a gotcha interview without asking. He just cornered her in a hallway and was just... uh, um, I... Well, to use a, a, a word from the last, I had I had previously invited him to come on the on a, on my show. This is the very first year. This is I was uh, let's see here. I had been doing my show for seven months at this point, and I had maybe a hundred listeners per episode. You know, I was a little dinky tiny show, but um, at that point. I disinvited him. I, I told I, I I sent him an email. I didn't I didn't know him well enough. To, I I knew I knew him well enough to know who he was, but I didn't want to create a scene in public. Uh, unlike him, who had no problem doing that with Emily Miller, uh, right. I sent him an email right after that and said, you know, don't don't think about coming on my show. I don't I do not I know after what you pulled, I no longer want to uh, promote you and your your page. And since then, and well, and honestly, if you ask any blogger, they have no problem paying, playing very, very fast and loose with copyright. They yeah. will, uh, they will Not take articles from other bloggers, and so the point I'm going with, with with this is this: I haven't seen this anywhere else, other than the truth about guns. I hear it sourced all the time, the truth mm. about guns. I will. Take it a little more seriously when somebody else, I don't care who it is, even if, even if it's if just a, I mean, I don't want to say just a blogger because that's all truth about gun is, guns is, and I don't want to say tr- just a blogger because I have some of the best that appear on my show. But even if it's a blogger I've never heard of before that does their own research and, and cooperates this, then cool. But as long as it's only coming from truth about guns, I want to be a little skeptical. So as far as you're concerned, we haven't seen a credible source. Right. Come out as, with as, Yes. That's, that's what I would say. If, if I see other sources, then I'm going to, yeah, I'll be right there with you guys. If what, let, let me say this, if what I've heard reported from the truth about guns is true, then both of the companies are in deep, deep, deep trouble. <laughs> but I, I want, mean. I want other cooperation. Before you want corroboration, out. and that's fair yeah. enough. Um, I will be yeah. honest with you. That was the only place I saw the story, and I had never heard that about Mr. Farago before, and I'm glad you told me uh, because we won't use talk about any more of his stuff. Yeah, it's, not, it's, you know, you can I mean, ask, I, take ask it with a Ask oh, any do. blogger that was there. I, they, they will absolutely back my story up. Uh, John Richardson's seen it. Uh, and, you know, when and, we know John, we've had John on the show. So, uh, yeah, uh, But honestly, so. I'm going to tell you, honestly, uh, Paul, um, I once in a while contribute to the firearms blog. It's very rare. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, maybe two or three times a year. Uh, there's one or two other publications I write for, so I'm not just a blogger. I'm a writer that took to blogging and podcasting to get out there, 
and I did it with football, and now I'm doing it with firearms and, and mm-hmm. self-defense and the Second Amendment. But that bothers me when people don't uh, have any respectability uh, as to how they handle themselves in any journalistic world, whether it's self-defense, uh, team sports, or uh, baking. Uh, if, you act like a, if you act like an idiot, uh, I don't want to be around you. So yeah. I'm glad you told us. I'm very glad you told us. But I would agree with you. I, you know, they're in deep trouble if this is what's going on. And I would expect to hear something tomorrow from somebody. Say something. You know, at this point. There are so some people who are making a lot of money to do PR. And oh, yeah. I, I, like, they need to get fired at this point. Like, if I were in charge of that, they'd be fired at this point unless they're burning the midnight oil trying to spin this. Because, you know, I I know we kind of joked about it earlier, but, you know, I I am a marketing guy because I've worked on about seven campaign cycles, three of which were just marketing and media consulting for that. But seriously, when something happens, one, you need to know about it before it even happens. When I've worked on a campaign where I need to get to know a candidate, the first thing I typically ask them, you know, after a regular conversation was, What's something about you I have to worry about? Was it drugs? Did you cheat on your wife? Have you, you know, a lot of debt somewhere? Have you had bad business practices? What are things about you that I need to worry about? And then once Excellent you get that question. out of the way and you have a plan for that, right. th- then how do you do it? Because there are a lot of people that say, oh, I can handle the damage. I can take care of the damage control. But right now it's been how many days since it is out and not a peep. Right. So, hey, so Renzo, I got to ask you. I got to ask you a question because so. you remind me of somebody. Do you know who Dennis Michael Lynch is? DML, yeah, I know who he is. Well, you remind me of Holland Hill, his partner in crime. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you talk just like him, and, and you know what kills me? You're a conservative, and he's a liberal. Who came over. It's a it's a crazy crazy world. <laughs> I'm telling Is that you, brother. All right, it, it it could be. Uh, well, we have a a couple. Of, we have another story from Truth About Guns. I may cut it out, but maybe we will talk about it. But this next one, uh, Gabby Giffords is still giving the same speech as she was on the Hill on Wednesday, according to Newsweek, The Morning Call, and Breitbart. What does she and her former astronaut husband Mark Kelly uh, not understand? Uh, you know, I, I just taught the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to fourth graders today, by the way. Uh, you know, the Bill of Rights is not a living document. You are not going to modify the Second Amendment. If you do, there's going to be a civil war. And, you know, I, I listen to guys uh, who think we're already eight, nine years into uh, the Second Civil War. So, uh you know, Gabby Giffords, you know, anybody got an idea on, you know, why hasn't she hooked up with the Moms Demand Action yet? That's what I want to know. Not that they had such a big time at the NRA annual meeting. Uh, Paul, we're going to go with you first. Well, when you mentioned that, the first thing that popped into my mind is the Facebook meme that I, seen all, that I see all the time. is Darth Vader uh, standing uh, in one of the Star Wars movies. And whenever I hear that the Constitution is a living, breathing document, all I hear is, I've just altered the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. 
<laughs> exactly. You know, um, since it's May Fourth, and we're talking about Star Wars too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good, good tie in there. Um, but as far as with Gabby gets, I do not know why they haven't teamed up with Breitbart, other than possibly trying to stay. Uh, um, how do I put this? To stay outside, look, make it look like there's more than one front. But let's. Uh, the one thing I would be curious to find out is where, because uh, they run their own little, uh, uh, and I mean little, uh, lobbying group, uh, her and her husband, right. Mark Kelly. And yeah. I'd be curious to see where they get their funding. I would bet you a great deal of it does come from Bloomberg, although I wouldn't roll out, rule out Soros. Me either. Um, but uh, well, Soros I just... Losing everything. Yeah, he does. He has his fingers in absolutely everything. Uh, and, yeah. you know, I, I don't know that we are ever going to change their minds. Uh, I'll, I'll, let's just be frank. I am very, very, very horrified at what she went through. And God bless her for living through it. Oh, yeah. Um, Nobody's and saying I, I wish that. it would have never happened. Nobody's saying she didn't her. suffer. Right. Yeah. Nobody's saying she didn't yeah. suffer. Uh, my thing with this is, and I agree with you, uh, Soros has his fingers in everything. And side note, that's why as much as I love Ivanka Trump, we need to get Jared Kushner out of the White House because he took a loan from Soros for one of the one of their businesses. So that to me right there, out. Um, Greg, your thoughts on this? Then we'll get to the other guys. Well, you know, it, it's um, I, I think that uh, they they say that a musician. Um, only stops playing music when he doesn't have anything left. And I uh, think that, you know, you can only bang this drum so much. And when, you know, they, they went along for eight years uh, seeing what they thought were great things, uh, both Mom's Demand Action and, um, you know, all the other anti-gun groups. And now... Uh, the last, uh, the, the, uh, uh, standout, uh, against the NRA in Atlanta was a park that was almost a mile away. And the, uh, the, the, the estimates I heard were that they got, uh, five or six groups got together, maybe a, a hundred to 200 people. 200 was the very outside. Can, and can somebody said that they. Go ahead, Paul. I'm uh, sorry. I, I just did. You all see Gail Pepin and Sean Sorrentino, uh, their their posts on Facebook where they infiltrated that group and took pictures, and uh, Weird Beard was in on that as well. And yeah. uh, that was <laughs> they actually cost the people. We had them on our show on the on the, sh- the next show that's going to be released. We had Gail on. And they actually cost these people money because they took free T-shirts. <laughs> they, they didn't. They were giving <laughs> they were giving T-shirts to the homeless people that were that had been sleeping in the park. Uh-huh. And I mean that was uh, that was and and they even said that the homeless people seemed indifferent. In other words, they weren't willing to put the shirt on just because it was free. Right. And I think this is going to – Mom's Demand Action has been called out because um, they're using Facebook likes as um, 
number of members. And of course, the NRA, when they say, when they talk about their membership, they're talking about people that pay their money every year. And when Moms Demand Action talks about membership, they're talking about likes on Facebook. It's not going to hold up. The facts can't support these groups. And I think that, you know, she's using the same speech because she's out. And I, the reason I don't think that Moms Demand Action is combining with anybody is because Shannon Watts is obviously going to make a run for a political position, and she right. doesn't want anything mucking that up. She wants to keep all that Bloomberg money to herself, and she wants to keep focused on the prize. And to her, that is no longer Moms Demand Action. That's and that the, that's going to go by the wayside as soon as she's moved on. And the price for her, because she's already relocated to the state of Colorado, she's either running for mayor of Denver or governor of Colorado. And I can guarantee you, Michael Bain will not be happy about that. Right. Colorado resident. He will be very, very PO'd. Um, okay, Remso, this is, uh, you know, I, you've done – You've done marketing for campaigns before, obviously. You, like you said previously, you talked to a uh, pollster. What yeah, you, I mean, all, here, here's my thing, and you know, I, I might go, go sideways on this, but I mean, why, why is Gabby Giffords still relevant? I understand everything <laughs> that went on, but it's been years. But, you know, since today is Star Wars Day, I am going to take advantage of the situation and use a Star Wars metaphor. If you remember Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, where Obi-Wan and Anakin are fighting on that volcano planet, Obi-Wan looks at Anakin mm-hmm. and he says, Anakin, we were supposed to fight the dark side, not join it. We were supposed to bring balance to the Force. And then you have Anakin that looks at Obi-Wan and he's like, in my mind, the Jedi are the ba- are the bad guys, and they're trying to destroy you know the balance in the universe. And then there'll be ones like, well, then you truly are lost. When it comes to Gabby Giffords, you know, bless her heart, but she's one of the only people to get shot and blame the gun instead of the gunman. Right. <laughs> and it's been years. Exactly. 2000, 2000 uh, what was it? 2011, 2009. It was a long ways back. But when was the last time we looked at that psychopath and questioned mental health in America? When was the last time we looked at that psychopath and looked at what evil looks like? We refuse to look at what evil looks like. While she's going out and talking about how we need to take guns off the street and eventually go after law-abiding gun owners and American citizens, I'm sorry. She's She's basically Darth Vader because she is lost, and she's going after the wrong people. Yeah, I believe so. Well, Gil, she was a Arizona Tucson, Arizona congresswoman. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think people in Arizona really... are supposed to be a little smarter. Yeah, well, we can't well, the very McCain, so we're not. The, you know, we're not the there you know, Democrats in every state are going to, you know, spew the same rhetoric. She she was one of the better Democrats before the incident, though, because she was kind of more middle of the road. Uh, and you know, like like uh, Paul said, you know, God bless her for surviving that horrific attack. But I'm going to get I'm going to get very hard on her right now. Um, has, has nobody uh, kind of 
made the comparison between her and Brady. Um, oh, Brady, I have. what became? Yeah, Brady became the face of anti-gun rhetoric after he was shot in the in the Reagan assassination attempt and and lost the use of his legs. Now, you know, she's she's shot in the head, loses, you know, a good portion of her of her cognitive uh, abilities. And now they're using her basically as a puppet. Uh, to try to create a new Brady campaign. And I think that's exactly what uh, her husband wants to do. Uh, I think that's exactly what some of the people that are financially backing them want to do. And there is some some uh, truth to the fact that, you know, if they have a, another organization, instead of combining these organizations, it makes it more relevant for the fight because, they're, you know, people are going. They're, they're they're using it as, you know, like like Ramco could could see this a marketing campaign because if there's that many organizations against it, well, you know, some people are going to say, well, they must be they must have a point. But I, I think that's all it is 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 whoever's backing Kelly and and Gifford and uh, they they just want to make a a new Brady campaign to push the anti-gun stuff so that's a good point yeah that's a great point that's a great point all right we're going to move on this is another truth about gun story this is from Joannis paulson and according to him the new york times used the obit of former arkansas congressman jay dickey to push gun control and if that is true how disgusting you know we all know the new york times is the enemy of the freedom-loving american Fake news. Uh, right. <laughs> Too bad because I used to like this sports section. Um, oh. Let's let's go from the bottom up. Well, age-wise, Remso, uh, your thoughts on this? Uh, can they stoop that low? Of course they can. They're the media. <laughs> I, I, I mean, seriously. Like I, I have a subscription <laughs> to the Wall Street Journal. And, uh, you know, the thing I like about them is they put the stories up front and they put the op-eds in the back. And for the op-eds, it's pretty, you know, middle of the way. You've got your neocons, you've got your occasional progressive, and then you have people that just kind of throw it unbiasedly. You know, I, I'm afraid to say his name because I'm afraid if I say it three times, you know, near a mirror, he'll jump out. But, you know, the thing I like about Bill O'Reilly was the fact that, you know, his biggest thing was my job is just to state the situation and to, you know, kind of exploit the environment in order to get the best story out there. He wasn't like a Glenn Becker or Sean Hannity where he was trying to lead the narrative on something. So am I surprised the New York times did this? No. In fact, I'm, I'm surprised that they're even still around. Their subscriptions have been dropping drastically the past mm-hmm. year and a half alone, primarily mm-hmm. because of the 2016 yeah. election, but you know, they're going the way of everything else. Uh, you know, MSNBC, they're dropping, you know, uh, I don't know if you heard, but Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski are getting engaged. And the joke I've been hearing is they're doing that because their show is about to get canceled on MSNBC. So when it comes to the media stooping low, giving us fake news, it, it's really not surprising at all. In fact, I'm surprised that they're not going the way of Alex Jones saying that, you know, Florida in the water is turning frogs gay and their chemtrails that are making us all a little bit more autistic. So I'm not <laughs> it's all fake news. 
great point. Can I jump yeah. in quick? Those are great points, but I would say they're not the media. We are the media. Right. Yeah, they, we're the there you go. There right. you go. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Well, Greg, uh, I know this is something that, you, you, that bothered you when we did our kind of pre-production and text earlier today. Well, you know, it's um, and and th- those were those were absolutely great points because it, it, we are seeing a drop in this type of media, and I think it's been played out. You know, Obama held the reins for eight years, and everybody, you know, went to that went to that tune for so long, and with Trump taking the election. And the NRA not being scared of the anti-gunners anymore, and everybody trying to generate this furor towards guns and America and you know all the rest of it, I think everybody has just kind of worn out. And I don't think that it's getting the same play. I mean, obviously um, – the the hardcore uh, core of the the anti gun argument is still going, but the rest uh, the rest of America, I think, is kind of dying on the vine, and they're getting they're getting sick of the same old rhetoric. And right. I think the New, the New York Times is one of the leaders of the rhetoric. Yes, and so you know the quicker they have to. Uh, go into bankruptcy and either somebody else comes along and resurrects a real newspaper or uh, they just go by the wayside and that's the end of them, I think we'll all be better off. Full disclosure, in 26 years of teaching, I never paid one dime for the New York Times. I got it every day for free for 26 years along with all the other newspapers, because the New York City Department of Education believed that their teachers should be opposed to all viewpoints. That's one of the <laughs> few good things I could say about my quarter of a century plus in public education. Um, okay. Uh, Gil. Well, <clears throat> let me just start out by saying I don't read the New York Times. Well, I don't either anymore. Good. Yeah, so I mean, it, 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 let, let me let me just say this: it's it is mainstream media, it's fake news, and there is nothing too low for them to use, and uh, so that doesn't surprise me at all that they use something like that. Yeah, and it, you know, good point. You know, printed printed news like like the New York Times and you know that type of stuff. Like like you guys said, it's it's going the way of the dodo. Um, they're not going to be running much longer, and this is the only way they can stay relative for the short time they have left. Right. Paul, I want, I want to get you a chance to finish your point. Well, I just want to, if I could, I want to read just the, the first paragraph of this obituary that's being, uh, I'm pulling it right off the New York Times website. Uh, I'm, uh, Jay Dickey is Arkansas lawmaker who blocked gun research, dies at 77 is the headline. The first paragraph, as a Republican congressman from Arkansas, Jay Dickey, through an obscure amendment, single-handedly prevented the federal government from investigating 
the public health effects of firearms inflicted violence for the past two decades. Um, just to rip him in that first, and it goes on in that vein for two more paragraphs before they mention anything else about him. Right. Um, yeah, it, the, this is just a, a blatant hit piece. And do it, does it surprise me? Not at all. Uh, I never have paid for the New York Times either, but I read it only when somebody brings something to my attention that they wrote. Right. Uh, and right. I only read it on the Internet where I don't have to pay for it. So if they were exactly. behind a paywall, yeah, I would never right. I would never see anything they did. Yeah, well, they, they do have a lot of stuff behind the paywall. And, you know, I have, like I said, I don't pay them. I haven't paid for them in years. And uh, when I was still doing computer consulting as a side job in New York City, Apple Consulting, and, and my clients say, did you read that article in the New York Times? Like, nope. If it's not in the sports section, I don't read it. And there's yeah. some, it's too bad because there's some good writers in the sports section. It's a shame. But anyway, um, that's going to wrap that one up. And now we have the New York Daily News, which isn't much better, but they're not as bad as the Times. Uh, oh, that's where you go to lose brain cells. That's where de Blasio oh. gets his op-eds. Yes. De, yeah, because he doesn't get it from the New York Post, that's for sure. Um, uh, according to the Daily News, and they cover crime all across the state, not just in the New York City area, 46-year-old mother of three, Charlotte Lahr, the owner of the South Avenue Wine and Liquor Store in Rochester, New York, was beaten to death with a wine bottle during a robbery. According to Syracuse.com, 59-year-old repeat offender Kevin Quander was paroled last week. All the New York politicians mm -hmm. can say is we have to reform the parole system. I'd say if she only had a self-defense handgun. So let's go around the loop again. Uh, let's start with Paul. Well, New York, uh, let's face it, this is upstate, so it is a little easier to get a permit there. It's not easy by any means, but you don't right. have to be rich and famous to get one in, in upstate New York. Uh, so it, it, it may be possible she could have gone through uh, a bunch of loopholes and spent a lot of money and gotten one in, in upstate New York. But it needs to be a lot easier. Um, the What I would say about the, you know, if we, I am fairly certain that a, if he was paroled last week, parole means he didn't serve his entire sentence. So nope. if if, yeah, if exactly. he were if he were to have been uh, kept, you know, she'd still be alive. There's no two ways around that. That's kind of really all I got that I can say about that. Yeah, it's it's very sad, very very sad. Uh, Gil, well. I mean, you know, New York, and this this is just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's like, you know, paroling, uh, you know, violent criminals because they've, according to somebody in the system, they've served enough time. Uh, this this also, you know, kind of reminds me of what Brown and the California Senate is now doing with their prisoners over there. They're mm -hmm. releasing them by the 10s and 20s. Uh, and releasing them back into society where they're just going to run rampant over, you know, uh, God, God fearing people. And, uh, they have, they have 
you know, politicians don't care about the consequences of their actions. And this is this here is definitely a consequence of political action, and uh, it's disgusting. Uh, if these people are are this bad that they ended up in jail for a certain amount of time, there shouldn't be any parole. They should serve their time to the very last minute. And that's that's he it. He had three. He had three previous felony convictions that involve violence. Great. So this guy's been a criminal for a long, long time. Remso. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's the absolute shocking part. He's a convicted felon, multiple charges, all violent, and yet they're releasing him. One of the problems with New York is what we're seeing throughout the country. We have an overpopulation in prison. What we're doing is we're over criminalizing, you know, things that aren't violent, things that aren't affecting anyone but maybe the person that's actually being charged with it. And you know, I'm I'm more of a libertarian on this, but you know, look at the number of people that have been put in jail. I remember in Alabama, there was a giant, you know, bust. I remember the state police were really celebrating this because they found an underground raw milk trade going on and they ended up arresting a whole bunch of people and they all got like 50 years in prison for selling and trading raw milk. So we're going to go ahead and arrest yeah. and jail the raw milk guys. Oh, we're also going to go ahead and put a bunch of, uh, in, since we're talking about New York specifically, we're going to go ahead and put a bunch of 16, 17 year old kids that were caught with some weed or something in federal prison. We're going to charge them as adults because of mandatory minimum sentencing. So then we're wondering why we have overcrowding in prisons. And then it's getting to the point where it's like, oh, now we need to find ways to get people out so that way they're not too overcrowded. So where do they start? They start with this guy who's going to go around and beat old women to death. Heck, if maybe we went ahead and we're like, huh, maybe we should keep the monsters in and kick out some of the morons that have done their time, the situation wouldn't have happened. Excellent so, point. Let, yeah. Let's let's finish it off with Greg. Well, this is something that unfortunately I have a lot of experience with. Um, for some reason, I get called for grand juries. I, I've only been on two regular juries in my lifetime, but I've been on five grand juries. And one of the duties of the grand jury is to uh, both uh, view the prisons and to also handle any complaints coming from the prisons. And this is something I've been on uh, the law enforcement committee each time because I think this is a serious um, duty. And what you're saying about the over overcrowding that is probably one of the biggest complaints of the people that are in the prisons. Right. And it's, it's sad because, I mean, we, we're, we're taking somebody that got busted for having – in California, we might have somebody that was busted for having weed three times, and because it's a three strikes and you're out type of situation, they're in jail for 10 years. And you're talking about this is a serious crime. Now, if we're talking about three strikes as far as three uh, of, of this kind of guy, you know, obviously he should be locked up for good. But, you know, our, our prisons are being filled with these – I don't want to call them nothing crimes. They are crimes. But it's not right. something that is going to damage the public as a whole. 
And this is something that I think we need to reevaluate. If we're to the point where the, the prisons are bulging and we have to let somebody out, then let's do it with some common sense. And, you know, this I, – I don't actually understand how this could have happened in New York. I mean, with all the uh, the laws in place, I you know, I don't see how a crime actually got committed. But, you know, it's um, it's like California. It's, it's completely crime-free there now. But um, you know, let's let's do some common sense and let's let's look at it honestly and quit BSing each other over how it works and hiring somebody else to take care of it and and trying to sweep it under the rug. We've swept it under the rug for too long, and now it's coming back to bite us in the butt. See, and having been a former New York State resident, I can tell you that uh, in all the rural areas. All the sheriffs, they love people who own guns and who are, treat them responsibly. Uh, it's only New York, the New York City area, the Albany area, and the Niagara Falls, Buffalo area that are so vehemently anti-gun. Now, you have Rochester, which is also a reasonably large city. Uh, she could have gotten a permit. In that county, which I don't, uh, I don't get. I'm very sorry she, that her three children don't have a mother. That's sad. All right. Very. Uh, before before we get to the gun industry news, we had one last story. I want to do this one really quick. Uh, I am still not sure if national reciprocity will pass this year, and obviously the Hearing Protection Act won't pass till next year, the way things are going. But South Carolina is doing its part, according to U.S. News and World Report. Uh, They tell us that uh, South Carolina voted to recognize 16 more states who recognize South Carolina's permit. So let's go through this one real quick. Uh, Obviously, on the table, do we want national reciprocity or do we want the states to do it uh, individually with each other? Uh, Paul, I want to jump on you with this one first. Okay, and I hate to break it to you, but I can't make this short. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Uh, I'll take I'm a it. truck driver. <clears throat> I, I am a truck driver. And as a truck driver, I go to 48 out of the 50 states. Uh, I do not go out of the United States, so I have no way to get to uh, Alaska. And I don't have pontoons, and so I cannot get to Hawaii. Um <laughs> You'd need but, a couple of refuelings on that truck if you did. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but now, getting to 48 out of the 50 states, I'm going to tell you this. I am hoping for national reciprocity. National reciprocity. And I, I know everyone, a lot, I've got a lot, a lot of feedback that people hate when I make this analogy, but it works. I have a driver's license issued by the state of South Dakota that allows me to drive an 80,000-pound vehicle that could be loaded with 45,000 pounds of explosives in any state in the union. Why the heck does my permit to conceal carry a handgun not work in 50 states just like my driver's license does? I had to prove... Go ahead. 
No, that's, you're absolutely right. That's the point uh, of, you know, national reciprocity is, is exactly that. If people can get, uh, you know, light driver's license issued in each state and each other state rep- uh, rec- recognizes it and allows it, then it should be the same for a, a concealed carry permit. As long as right. you can show that you have had the proper training in order to get that permit, then you should be allowed to carry in every single state, just like you're allowed to drive in every single state. And and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to make a comparison here. I'm going to jump in if nobody minds. The, uh, I'm coming it. from California, and Paul can probably back me up on this. You know, uh, I used to drive between Northern California and Southern California, mm-hmm. and I used to have a very nice car. Uh, it was a BMW 740IL, and nice it did not go very slow. I, I I think it might have gone under 80, but at least when I was in it, it, it seemed to have this problem of just heading down the freeway at ungodly speeds. And in California... Everybody drives that way. Once you get out of once you get out of the major cities like I five, I ninety nine, everything running north south, mm-hmm. everybody flies. And even the 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 uh, you'll be going seventy five and get passed by a CHP, and they don't care that you're going seventy five, even close to eighty. And it's just because everybody does it. And everybody's used to it, and it's very comfortable because everybody on the road is doing it. That's just the way it is, and and nobody's nobody. Uh, we don't have the in California. They really don't have too many problems with uh, with people speeding and losing control and things like that because they're not doing it to be exhibitionists. They're doing it because we've got six hours between where we start at and where we're getting to, mm-hmm. and so. Yeah, exactly. But all of a sudden, I moved to Ohio. And I'm not going to be judgmental here, but let's just say that it moves a tad slower. <laughs> just and if that, if if you see somebody, if you see somebody moving fast, the blue lights are usually behind them because they're getting away from a bank robbery. Uh, but the um, it, it, you don't have the same comfort, you don't have the same feel. You don't have people that, that are very competent in their driving skills. And, you know, this, this is an overall overreaching example. But when they say that the training isn't the same in every state, I guarantee you my California license meant a heck of a lot more than my Ohio license as far as skills were concerned. And the, the to say that to say that, you know, because I come from Ohio now, I can't carry a gun in California, it, it's ridiculous. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. The, the training is not the same in every state for the driver's licenses. Why are we going to that for the, the carry reciprocity? Mm-hmm. You know, every state has its own setup. It has its own divisions. It has its own training. And once you pass that state's training – you can drive in all the other states. So it, it's, a, it's a perfect exa- example of why it should be allowed. And it's only really New York, California, and a few other states that are having such Connecticut, a significant fit. Massachusetts, Connecticut. Hawaii. Yeah. 
of Hawaii. South because Carolina the, to uh, an extent and very, very bad, believe it or not, you wouldn't think so, but is New Mexico. They are horrible. I know. It's, uh, it surprises me being my yeah. next-door neighbor that they're not a little more, uh, well, you know, get us a real Republican in there and that'll change. Uh, mm. But that's one of the reasons why I'm for it. Because being from New York, I won't go back to New York anymore. I went back twice since I moved here to Arizona, and I told my wife both times, can I come home? And that was the first night that I was yeah. in New York for business. So I haven't been back there in four years, and I'm, I, you know, my, my niece has two beautiful daughters. I have two gorgeous great nieces, uh, two and a half and uh, less than six months. And my niece and nephew-in-law say to me, when are you coming to visit? I'm not. You guys are coming here. I said, unless you're chartering me a plane or you're getting me an aircraft that I can fly, I am not coming back to the East Coast. Nope. So you're not going to fly United Uh, into uh, New York? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nope. <laughs> I sure. <laughs> All right. That United joke is starting to get a little play. No, I'm okay. I'm kidding. Yeah. It's, that's, that's, I fell for that one. All right. Uh, so we get to the gun industry news now, and we have some good news tonight from the Army Times regarding the procurement of the new six-hour modular handgun, which is the Sig P320 which I will be getting one later this year. The Army's Procurement Office reports that Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which happens to be my former active duty station, and the 101st Airborne, Air Mobile, will be the first to get the new guns. They also state that other units at the Kentucky-slash-Tennessee base, that you didn't know that part of the base is in Tennessee, will be getting the firearm. So, do tell. Could that be a certain Army SOCOM aviation unit I happen to have an affiliation with? <laughs> hmm. Okay, so this we're going we're gonna to stretch this one out a little bit, and then we'll do the other ones real short. Okay. Uh, I'll start with this one. Uh, I would be very happy to see the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment get the P320. I have shot this gun. I've shot actually both the full size and the subcompact, and I want to tell you, this is one heck of a well-put-together gun. When I talked to John Hollister from SIG at a SHOT Show, on actually not until Friday morning, did we have a chance to get together, and he was heading out for lunch. So I offered to like buy him lunch if he would stay a little longer. He was like dying of hunger. But he did say this. He said, this is the one handgun that the industry has been waiting for. And after having fired it twice on two separate occasions, I would have to agree. So let's go around again. We'll start with Remso again this time. Remso, what do you think? What do you think? Having never actually shot it, I don't necessarily have an opinion. But, uh, I mean, it sounds like a good deal. And uh, I mean, I, that's that's as far as it goes. Actually, I'm I'm gonna sound kind of unpopular real fast. I do have one comment about the previous story we were discussing. I just want to throw out something if that's okay. 
Sure, go for it. Did I miss you? Sorry. Reciprocity. Yeah, I, I was going to let it go, but it just kind of bugs me. I mean, I, I have kind of an unpopular opinion when it comes to this, and you know, forgive me if I'm taking a, a little bit time on the specific story. But you know, when, when it comes to national, national reciprocity, I mean, don't get me wrong. I am 100% behind constitutional carry. But th- there's an overlapping problem with the specific way that it would be adapted. You know, I'm going to pull two opposites together and make this point. I'm 100% pro constitutional carry. And there's another thing I have to be supportive of because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a libertarian. I also support the idea of gay marriage. But when you go back to 2015, I was absolutely opposed to the Supreme Court's decision because what they ended up doing was they ended up forcing all 50 states to recognize gay marriage specifically, and that caused a giant issue in federalism. Now, if there's one thing I do know about the federal government, it's that I usually expect it to disappoint me because we live in the post-truth <laughs> world. We live in a post-constitutional world, and usually yep. when they try and do something, even when it's good, right. they end up screwing up. And when you look back at the founding mm. fathers, you know, I, I have a deep admiration for James Madison. He not only wrote the Federalist Papers, but he was one of, you know, he's the godfather of Constitution. And it wasn't right. simply supposed to be the judicial branch, the legislative branch, and the executive branch. He had also established, and he didn't put this down specifically, but then enough of his writings, the fourth branch of government, which was the states. I think what we're seeing now in terms of you know cross-state reciprocity when it comes to um, you know concealed carry permits, I think that's solving the problem that the federal government has created and they're unable to fix. So by them doing that, it's a great situation where we're actually seeing federalism work. And besides, a lot of people mm. would say, yeah, but the Second Amendment of the Constitution, you know, guarantees that. Yes and no. Yes in the legal sense, no in the sense of application, because yes, we do have one federal constitution that hits the federal government, but we have 50 state constitutions. You look at the state constitution of New Hampshire, I love it, because they have the right to revolution and to overthrow their state government if they so choose. Then you look at New Jersey, and they don't mention firearms at all. If we want to say we're for limited government, we need to understand that you know we have to let the fourth branch work, and it's the states. And I think that's where we're really going to see this this issue get fixed eventually, where we'll eventually be able to go from one end of the country, from Arizona to the East Coast, and not worry about this. Because the states were able to have their sovereignty represented, actually enforced and respected, because the federal government should not be in this situation to begin with. Because whether or not we support something they're trying to do, they will most likely screw it up in the process. So those are just my You know, that's a good point. I, I... I can see that working at some point. I just think it's going to take too long, but I, I get your point. So. I follow a uh, I follow a site called the Tenth Amendment Foundation, and Love uh, they're they're all about states' rights. And what what you're saying is basically true. And I think that you know the the problem is with a president with a sitting president, he knows he's got four years to do it. And that's – he knows that this will be four years of talk, and, and nothing will get done by the time we're looking at Election Day again. And so I think you know his idea is right, but what you're saying is, is definitely the stronger way to go, to, to have the states work it out on their own and to leave the federal government completely out of it would be ideal. But yeah. 
there's there's too much there's too much talk and too much politics and not enough doing and i think that's where you know trump is trying to tell everybody all right that's it you know if you won't do it i'll do it for you and not necessarily the right way to go but i i think his heart's in the right place but i you i agree with you i would rather see the states do it on their own if i if i could jump in as well uh, I, I know we're taking up too much time on this. I'm sorry, but Remso, I want to say you're 100% spot on ideologically. Thank uh, you. I am a I'm a realist. I'm a practical person, and would I I do think eventually it would happen the way you describe it, but I don't think it would be in my lifetime. Exactly. And so that's that's why I, that's why I support a national reciprocity bill. Okay. Yeah, we we got to be honest here. Uh, You know, Trump is the guy who's making people do things. And by extension of the federal government, what he's doing right now, look, I don't like executive orders either, but let's face it, Obama wrote more executive orders than any three presidents previous to him. Oh, so So, you know, the ones that... Trump is writing now or trying to write the wrong, so to speak, and he's working at the pace as if he only has four years and not eight. Which you know, I don't well blame have. him. Which he may yeah. well only have four years. Uh, getting back to uh, the Six Hours story, uh, I, I can't help it that I love this gun, and it's Sig's first true under six hundred dollar gun if you buy it stock with nothing on it. And that brings it into the price range of the average quote-unquote working person who can only buy one, maybe two guns a year. Yeah, I I got to shoot one last weekend. Uh, and Well, I, I let me let me clarify that. I, for the second time, I got to shoot one last weekend. I'd shot one last fall. Uh, and uh, just absolutely fell in love with that gun. Uh, the one I shot was in the full size. Although last weekend, when he when the the same guy showed up and we were going, I was going to shoot it. He said, "Well, would you prefer? I've got it in subcompact. Would you prefer prefer it in full size?" I said, "Yeah, I've got big hands." And in drizzle and high wind, he had that ch- thing changed from the subcompact to full size in under two minutes. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And, and he had put this time, he'd put a Trigicon red dot on it. And you want to talk about a fast firing gun, really quick fire follow-up shots. Uh, just love, love, love that SIG. And I'm glad the military is getting them. I want them. I want our military to have the most effective weapons they can have. And uh, the SIG is certainly uh, right up there. I, I, I have no problems with them adopting that. Yeah, it's a great gun. I mean, uh, uh, my shooting buddy, who's a Vietnam vet, that's his home defense gun. And uh, I, I did a review on it last year, and I shot it uh, last fall sometime, like, like yourself, Paul. The first, the first time you shot it. And then the second time I shot it uh, was a little more recently. Uh, my buddy, who I'll throw his name out, he's been on the show, Ace Luciano, uh, author and uh, uh, me optics, uh, 
salesperson, uh, has the subcompact, and I shot it at our indoor range when he came up to hang out with me and visit. Uh, and uh, let me tell you something. Even at the subcompact, even at 20 yards, is in the black. And that's not my shooting skill. That's the gun. Yeah. Because I'm not going to brag. I'm okay. I'm not awesome. I'm an older guy now with, with eyesight issues. Uh, so I wear my, you and me both, my glasses. Yeah. And, and, uh, for me to be able to put it all inside the eight, inside the nine at 20 yards, uh, in a, one of 3.2 inch barrel is pretty good. I can't do that with my Ruger LC9S and my Ruger LC9S is spot on at 15 yards, but not at 20. So it's a well-designed gun. It's very accurate in, in all configurations. My goal is to have the full size for the house and the carry to uh, walk out and about with. And, uh, you know, uh, some other opinions on uh, uh, the Army getting the Sig P320 uh, advanced. My, my, because my, I was going to say, so, my, first, uh, my first Sig was uh, I fired 32 years ago, and I fell in love right, with stop the bragging. Sig. Stop bragging. Oh, I, I just fell in love with it, and I, ever since then, it, it, you know, it, at first it was a it, it was a fight to to save up enough money to buy to be able to buy a Sig, and then it was, um, you know, after the first one, well, then I started saving for the second. Um, these guns are fantastic. I borrowed a three twenty, tried it out, had the same experience Bill did. Everything's really accurate, and except for the fact that it was born out of the 250, um, which we'll just, I'm, I'm trying to forget that that chapter of SIG ever existed. But um, the fact that it was born out of the, the 250, I'm, I'm really glad that something good came out of that, uh, that system because the 320 is just fantastic. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't kick a SIG on the ground if the cop told you to. That's why you carry a Glock. Oh well, yeah, but notice I carry the Glock in three fifty seven six. Right. So uh, yeah, but the, the, I carry the Glock because it's the ugliest gun on earth, and and so if the cop wants me to chuck it in the ditch, that's that's cool. But uh, not my. No, I wouldn't do that to a Sig. They he'd just have to shoot me. <laughs> Gil, you got any comments on this article? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad to see that they're, you know, getting something uh, that is the latest and greatest uh, out there, especially when it's, you know, a proven design like the 320. Um, you know, I, I have a, a 229 myself, love it. Uh, not one of my favorite guns to, to carry or shoot because I'm, I'm very much more used to the low, lower bore axis of some of the other uh "Quote unquote ugly guns out there, but um, <laughs> I do love the design of the Sig of the 320. I love the chassis system in it, where you can just you know swap it out in different uh, uh, different um, frames, grip frames, and uh, different slide lengths and barrel lengths. I, I, I love the the modularity of it. So uh, yeah, I'm all for the uh, Spec Ops and, and Socom and, and everybody else getting their hands on this. 
Yeah, it's a great gun. And uh, we remember that Delta and the SEALs were carrying uh, uh, SIGs for a while, 228s, uh, which is also yeah. called in the Navy, the M11A1. Uh, you know, uh, I have a relative, uh, not an immediate family relative, but a, a cousin. And um, because of his job, uh, in the U.S. Army Special Operations Command, he carries the 228 every day. But mm-hmm. then again, you know, because he has a couple of stars on his shoulder, he has a body bodyguard detail. So I won't go any further with that. Um, so the next story, we have about 20 minutes. So I want to wrap these up. The firearms blog yeah. tells us that Heckler and Koch is building a 23 million dollar yeah. factory. In Columbus, Georgia, yay! The facility will produce yeah. handguns, sporting guns, and hunting guns. A huge surprise for the buying public. And to me, that means that HK is telling the American consumer that we no longer suck. Which I think is very important. Uh, I want to know, where are they coming out with the MP5 for... for uh, I, want, I want an MP5. I where, where do. I want a semi-auto MP5. And I don't want to have to pay Zenith Firearms fourteen hundred dollars for it. Forty percent of HK's uh, sales were to the American consumer last year. So is it any right. wonder that they decided to drop a plant right in the middle of our country? Yeah. No, it's well, not a surprise. For the American people, I mean that that that's going to you know twenty three million dollar factory, and you know that's probably going to be. Roughly twenty five to thirty thousand square feet at least, and uh, that's going to be at least you know five hundred to seven hundred you know jobs or more. So that's great yeah. for the American working economy. That exactly. that's the equivalent of Ruger's third plant in North Carolina. Very small really? part, you know, and that's mm-hmm. and that's yeah. where they make the the Ruger ARs. So. Uh, obviously, yeah. H&K is going to do something very similar, whether they're also going to be bolstered by police sales being in the United States again and not having to bring armorers over from uh, across the pond to uh, deal with law enforcement. I know they have some people based in this country, but without a factory to go get parts from, what good is it? Mm-hmm. You've got to wait. Even if, even if you rush ship it, you've got to wait at least ten days for a part to come in from over there. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. So, uh, Remso, any thoughts on this? Yeah, my only gripe is that they didn't come to Virginia because I really need a job right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a free country, man. You can move to Georgia. I could, but you know, I also don't want to move, so I'm kind of in a prisoner's <laughs> dilemma right now. Well, you have a good thing. You have a, a Republican governor. Maybe your state's turning around. As long as you don't live that close to I have DC, a Republican you're okay. governor. Virginia's <laughs> not well. Gary McCullough, who tried to cancel most of the no, he's the out. Agreement. The Hogan, the Hogan guy. No, I'm in. I'm in Virginia. He's not Virginia? No, he's Maryland. <laughs> Maryland? Yeah. Oh, God. God Love help him. Husband? God help him. He's got to deal with Baltimore. I thought he was in Virginia. My mistake. My bad. See, no, you we can't have, always be perfect have, on this show. 
good. No, we've got the wonderful Terry McAuliffe, who was, you know, uh, we, we're in the middle of Still? a primary season. Huh? Still? I thought he no, was. I like, said, uh, never mind. He, you know, him <laughs> and his uh, buddies contributed uh, $700,000, including the Clintons, to uh, uh, Jill McCabe's campaign for state senate. Her husband is uh, Andrew McCabe, the senior deputy director of the FBI, who was handling Clinton's email scandal case. Yeah. People don't remember oh, yeah, that? He, he's, oh, I remember that. Here's the thing about Terry McAuliffe. Here's the funny thing about him. I'm actually kind of going to miss him because as a governor, he was absolutely useless in getting anything done because the one smart thing that we did was we elected a Republican majority House of Delegates and another Republican majority State Senate. You know, we, we have uh, my good friend Tom Garrett, who's a current congressman from the 5th I saw him on TV today. Yep, he's out. Yeah, he's part of the House Freedom Caucus. But, yeah, no, I, I worked for Tom's congressional race. But, you know, the thing about Terry McAuliffe was he was only in it because he wanted to get rich. He's just like – you know, the Clintons, he's a kleptomaniac. He didn't want to ideologically change the state. He didn't want to do anything crazy. He just wanted to get rich quick and get make a bunch of business connections to throw governor on his resume. You know, he's tried to pull some stupid stuff. He tried to cancel a reciprocity agreements with North Carolina, a couple right. other states. He did the right. whole, you know, let's, let's give felons their voting rights. I mean, it, I mean, that topic has a few extra things. But, I mean, at least he didn't, like, constantly raise our taxes. I mean, I remember the last Republican governor we had, uh, McDonald, he uh, he came in saying he was going to be a fiscal conservative. But what he does, he passes the massive uh, state transportation bill, raised our taxes, confiscated a bunch of land. So, you know, we've got Ed Gillespie, who's a, um, a full-time lobbyist, whether you love him or not. He says he has some conservative points, even though he lost his Senate race back in 2014. And then we have... Tom Periello that wants to stick RFID chips in the back of everyone that has a mental disability. So no God. the lobbyist, the guy that wants to put the mark of the beast in people, I'm going to take the useless Clinton crony any day of the week. So, you know, just my two cents. All right. Well, that's good to know. Um, next story. And this one is close to my heart because as much as I love my LC9S, I'm beginning to fall in love with my Performance Center ported shield. And if you buy a regular plain old plain Jane shield, right now you can get it for $225 with the rebate. Yeah. Uh, Palmetto State Armory is uh, has a ton of the 45 shields. Uh, I, I don't know. This gun feels good in my hand. I have an M&P 9C also. I, I have a lot of 9mm pistols. Okay, my wife is like, why don't you sell one of those? I'm like, didn't I sell enough guns already? Yeah, but Bill, you have to admit that this. I mean, I had uh, I had one of the first shields that came out, and you didn't like yours. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't like mine personally, but like I said, I think it was a Friday gun. I I don't. Everybody else that's had shield experiences haven't has been positive, so I think I just got a bad one. But I'm thinking of that in a 45. That's going to be a handful to handle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you you have to be able to handle a forty-five compact to be able to use this to defend yourself. Well, you have it. It's, it's, it's not as bad as you think it will be, uh, Greg. Um, really? I I fired one 
Yeah, I fired one, and they they've got a, a different uh, dual recoil system on it, and and right. something else. It really it really dampens the recoil quite a bit. Okay. I've shot, uh, I've shot shields in nine, forty, and forty five, and my go to carry gun is a shield in nine. That's my oh. everyday carry gun. Very good. Very uh, good. And I'll say this: the forty fives aren't as snappy as I thought they would be. And the forties are oh. snappier than I thought they would okay. be. Okay, that I figured. Yeah, uh, Paul, what hope? The forties and almost any gun. The forties and almost any gun are going to be a lot snappier than either a nine or a forty-five. It's just it's just the way the the cartridge is designed. Um, right. You know, it, I mean, even it, with the with the Ruger uh, SRs, the, the nine compared to the forty compared to the forty-five, the forty yes. is the snappiest of all of them. Yeah. Um, Yes, I have a 9 and a 9C, and a buddy of mine has uh, both 40s, the 40 and the 40C. And we did that comparison side by side about two years ago. Paul, really quick, what holster do you carry your shield in? I carry my shield in a Concealment Solutions Black Mambo. Okay. Nice. Okay. I've heard I've heard our colleague Bob Main speak very highly of that holster. I'll have to get, yeah. take a look. I'll have to yeah. Uh, full full disclosure, they are a sponsor of my show. Uh, Jason over Concealment Solutions does sponsor my show, and uh, but yeah, I I do like the the Concealment Solutions Black Mamba for that shield. Uh, to be honest, I put it on in the morning and walking around all day, I forget I have it on. It's that stable. That's great. That's great. I carry my LC9S in a sticky MD1 pocket holster, which goes either in my pocket or in my man purse. I know. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, I carry and, I have and, a man purse. And do you know no that one thing, I, I have seen people actually get rid of holsters when they said they were comfortable just because they thought there was something better out there. If you forget you're carrying your gun, that's that's the holster to stick with. No, I it is. It is. Uh, Remso, what do you think? You think you're ready to buy a shield for two, 225 bucks after the rebate? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of ghetto. I just picked my Glock 19 and, you know, back <laughs> my chance. So, you know, That's not a bad that gun. Of, that, throwing up that type of money for that, I mean, you know, I'm uh, – no, sorry. That, I, couldn't, he, I couldn't make that he, one. He's the white Maj Teray, everybody. <laughs> Besides, that's there. If if you're if you're in that kind of neighborhood, then there's something to be said about you know being able to get spare ammo off anybody else. They, you know, you can just have a magazine thrown to you and slap it in and go. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that, that was I, I'd be, that I'd was be rolling thing. on NWA. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was actually a story that a buddy of mine, my my only close childhood friend, left. Uh, is a retired NYPD detective second grade. And um, that's what he said once they were in a shootout trying to arrest a, a homicide uh, suspect in in Queens near JFK Airport is where he worked uh, his final years. And he said to me, you know, he was getting low, and he had two magazines that were both getting low, and his partner said, tossed him one and said, now you know why I carry three spares, because you run out. 
<laughs> that was a lot of rounds that was fired, and but they were getting they were getting hammered really hard from uh, an Uzi and a shotgun from this guy and his uh, girlfriend. So, all right, two is one, uh, one is none, and three might just be enough. Three might just That's be what, enough. Yeah. I, I, carry I carry three extras. Three spare double stack magazines whenever I carry the double stack. And I carry five spare single stacks when that's all I have. And my wife says, you're crazy. That's too much. And I'm like, no, it's not. I said, your gun only ha- takes five rounds. And you only have two reloads for your gun. So we get in trouble. I'm the one who's got all the extra ammo, not you. And she's like, oh, okay. But <laughs> she understands. She knows why we do this show. She, that's why she goes to shot with us and does our video and photos and keeps me on the straight and narrow. Next story. Uh, this, we're going to double this up. Uh, after the Business Insider story, uh, they have an extended article on Army Special Operations Command up-tempo since 2001, causing them to, quote-unquote, eat their young as far as equipment and, and burnout. C-130s dropping off, uh, M4s and M249s breaking down. Uh, You know, this concerns me. This is from eight years of uh, sequester. Well, we didn't have the sequester for eight years, but this is from eight years of an administration that puts forward a sequester. All right, going around from the top. Greg, quickly. This is... uh... This is uh, uh, unbelievable that uh, it would get to this stage. But, of course, um, with the previous uh, administration, what can you expect? Uh, I mean, they they didn't really care what the military was faced with. So you get, uh, you know, this is now the the fallout from that. Yeah, I cross-trained with the Air Force on the C-130 Combat Talon and Commando Solo. And I can tell you that if you're burning these planes out, especially the engines, when you have all these parts available and these great young Air Force mechanics, uh, Remso's age in their early 20s, fixing these planes, uh, I have a problem when they can tell me that. Paul? Uh, It's uh, just to echo what you guys have already said, uh, the the tearing down of the military and you know i i have a i have a lot of friends uh that are that are military and foreign military and more former military than military because in the last eight years they have not felt uh appreciated mm-hmm. and no and they sure so, haven't uh, uh one friend daniel shaw who does the gunfighter cast uh, he 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 took early retirement because he just didn't see where the where with the with what was offered why he should stay in the military anymore with uh with the way things were looking down the road all the good generals were were fired over the Correct. past 8 years and uh, no this, does this surprise me that their their equipment is is falling to pieces no i just hope it changes very very quickly yeah, one of those generals was my was my cousin. Uh, Obama said to him, "You have to sign the agreement that you'll fire on American citizens if I order you to." And he said, "No." And he went out five years ago, 
He was the yeah. first Jew ever to become chief of staff of any branch, the Air Force, and um, he was up for uh, he was up for at one point before he fell out. He was up for joint chief, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, he didn't get it. Um, uh, somebody else got it, but that, that's not why he left. He left because Obama said to him, "Sign the paper," and he said no. Uh, so for me, this, like I said, this bothers me. And Paul, I don't know if you realize, but obviously you have one more friend that's ex-military. So, but excuse me, we never say ex unless we're disgraced. Former military. <laughs> yeah, former. I think I said it that way. If I didn't, I'm sorry. I, I know. I know. No, that's no, no. You got it. It was me. Okay. It was me. It was me. Uh, Gil and then Remso. Gil. Yeah, well, I mean, what you guys said, it's all about the, the downsizing and the uh, procurement uh, practices of the last eight years. You know, they, they basically took as much away from the armed forces as they could, so this is why everything's breaking down. They, they haven't had the replacement parts and, and whatnot else to keep them, keep them going and keep them in top shape, so... Absolutely. Remso, your thoughts on this being that uh, there are guys your age fixing these uh, armorers and Marine and Army units and, and uh, uh, engine mechanics in the Air Force that are doing this kind of work? Well, uh, you know, as a as an Army guy, I'm a little bit biased, but just real fast, quick story. I remember back in 2013, I was at uh, BASIC at Fort Knox, and we were given, you know, our, our M4 oh. range with. I remember it was so hot and we were constantly, you know, putting, you know, having to take apart our rifles and everything. Each time you'd shoot, the whole thing would jam up. We just nicknamed them muskets because we had that many problems. And that was one of the <laughs> first times I had seen that, you know, we're using a lot of outdated equipment. I thought, you know, when you're putting it for training, that's one thing because it's not like I'm going to take this, uh, you know, this, this damaged old M4 out to actual combat with me. But through the years, I've seen that there is definitely a larger problem. And to blame simply Obama and the sequester, it, it's really only giving you a small fraction of the story. What I think we tend to forget is, yes, we are eating our young, but we're also killing a lot of our old in a sense. You know, we've been in the That's longest right. military conflict yeah. in U.S. history. We're, you know, it's longer than Vietnam. It's longer than the Civil War. And it's because we're constantly pumping things out. And we could say that we're done you know, in terms of combat-related conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. But, you know, we still have men and women over there. We're pumping up our activities in Syria. No one's talking about what's going on in Yemen. And while I don't want to talk too much about foreign policy, it's the fact that, you know, we never stopped this constant engagement. When you look at special forces, and there's an article on task and purpose, which specifically talks about the yes. Business Insiders article, you know, we have several thousand uh you know, soft guys that are deployed to about 80 countries at a single moment. And, uh, you know, they're, they're waiting, they're waiting for the better gear for the word to go, resources. especially North Korea. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, will... you know, it's, it's George Bush's fault. It's Obama's fault. It's DOD's fault. It's state department. We forget that we're giving a whole bunch of money that's meant towards DOD spending to the state department. That was one of the right. lawless areas of Obama's administration. But, you right. know, you look at what we're spending. The Democrats always want to cut defense spending. The Republicans want to cut, you know, um, 
uh, you know, entitlements and stuff like that. You know, look at what and we're saying. Say, want, uh, yeah, you know, I want to cut both. I want to cut entitlements and defense. But you look at what we're dealing with. You know, we're no wonder we're buying cheap aircraft pieces from China. No wonder we're buying cheap things from other countries. It's because, you know, whether everyone can say, oh, it's Raytheon and Booz Allen and all these other guys. And, you know, they're, it's just a giant military industrial complex. Yeah, call it what you will. But, you know, when you're engaged in constant conflict, when you're dealing with massive spending um, allotments that are going towards the wrong things, ultimately, who's getting the short end of the stick? It's, you know, private Joe Snuffy and the E4 Mafia and everyone else that's having a giant problem with this. So it's no, is it going to get better? Probably not because, you know, it's not necessarily something that you're going to see a lot of people go on national TV and complain about, especially the people that are trying to play the more political role within DOD. So, I mean, it's, it's a large issue, but yeah, we're eating our young, but we're also killing our old. And we wonder why, you know, we're not as at the state of mission effectiveness that we're currently at. And, I had not known that you were service connected. So since you told me you were at Fort Knox, I try and keep you, that on the down low. Okay. Were you aware? Were you, I'll, I'll keep you, I'll keep you secret for you. But were you aware <laughs> that in 1982 and 1983, in the Fort Knox versus Fort Campbell tug of war and football game, that you guys lost two years in a row? Oh, shut <laughs> up. Shut up. <laughs> you'll have, have to look that up in the ancient history book. Night stalkers oh. don't quit, buddy. Night stalkers <laughs> don't quit. Even when we get old. Even when we get old. All right, we're going to put the last two stories together because I didn't think this would be two hours, and it's almost two hours. Uh, on the low end and the high end. On the low end, Dagger Defense is selling a $49 red dot. I was looking at this thing today. It's four different reticles and both red or green, and it's getting great reviews. So would you guys spend $49 on a dot, on a, on a dot site? And on the high end, STI is selling their new Hex Tactical 3.0, which is smaller versions of their Hex 4 and Hex 5.0 pistols in 1911 and 2011 models. Starting at twenty five hundred dollars. So, uh, really quick, Greg, what do you think? Are you buying an STI, and or are you buying a Dagger Defense Optic site? Hey, I I learned a long time ago if it will stay on site, and uh, I can I can knock it around and carry it like I normally do, and over the river and through the woods, and it'll still stay zeroed. I don't care how much it costs. So I always give it one shot, and you know if it's good, it's good. The uh, uh, the other one, uh, man, we have a lot of forty fives out there, and I'd really have to be convinced that this uh, STI. I mean, STI is a fantastic gun, and and they're used for competition all the time. Yeah. But you know, I, going that high, uh, I'd I'd have to uh, I'd have to shoot it and be really convinced before I put out that kind of money. And obviously, you'd have to sell a few guns, which none of us really wants to do. Uh, Gil, what do you think of the STI tactical, X tactical, and the dagger defense dot site? Well, like like uh, was said, STI is are, are great guns. They're they're very well made, but 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the same platform. I'd have to, uh, it would have to, you know, feed itself ammo and clean itself for me to pay that much money to do it. Um, as far as, as far as the red flag goes, it, you know, I'm, I'm also in the same boat too. If it stays uh, zero and is rugged enough to take, you know, what you need to dish out, uh, you know, I'm all for it. I mean, my uh, three of my guns wear uh, primary arms uh, micro dots, which are are uh, aim point uh, clones basically, yeah. and uh, they work yeah. every bit as well, and every bit as rugged, and I have no problem with them, and they cost, you know, 170 some odd dollars as opposed to 600 dollars for the for the uh, aim point. So you know, if if this one for 50 bucks works and stays. Uh, you know, stay zeroed and is rugged. Yeah, I'd buy it. So. Sounds good to me, Paul. You gonna spend twenty five hundred on a, a twenty eleven or a nineteen eleven, or are you no. gonna spend fifty bucks on a dot <laughs> No, no, no. I'm not spending twenty five hundred dollars for a handgun optic. Forget it. No way. Period. End of story. Uh, I don't care if it does do well. Maybe if it does the dishes for me after dinner. But even probably then, still no. Uh, just um, the fire. If I I have an optic on my AR, I do not have an optic on any of my handguns. Uh, that may change in the future. I think uh, tactically myself that you're better off for, for a handgun if you get a light and laser combination. Yes, I think I think that's much more effective for a handgun than than an optic is. Although my good friend uh, Matt from the uh, uh, from the uh, oh goodness I'm having a brain fart uh, Matt from <laughs> Sioux City he does the uh, Geeks Gadgets and Guns podcast he he's got an optic and he and when we did a Mag 40 up in Sioux Falls he took top shooter with uh, with a uh, Trigicon on top of a uh, on top of a uh, Glock 19 so but. I just, I really think you're better off going with a with a laser and light combination rather than spending twenty five hundred dollars. Uh, for a if you, the other way, for a forty nine dollar red dot sight, yeah, if it works and it's for you, very cool. Uh, and and fifty dollars, you're not going to get a light and laser that'll fit on a handgun for for forty nine dollars. So I I yeah, if, if, I I wouldn't have all that. I'd prefer to keep my optics under three hundred bucks, except for the long range stuff. Uh, but red dots, I prefer to keep them under 300. Uh, you know, a, I, laser and light, I got a really nice combo on my LC9S. I have the uh, Laser Max, uh, it's 200 lumen light, and it's a green laser. And I really prefer green. It's better on older eyes. So, yeah. Hey, Bill, uh, the, the, one, the number one thing to know about playing with this stuff is to be very, very good friends, possibly have in your will... Uh, the person that runs your gun store, because yes. you can try this stuff out. If it breaks, you can return it, and it it allows you to go through many more of these and have more experiences and find out what works. And here's my thing about STI: they do make great guns, but you know they get their parts from Armscore, and Armscore makes Rock Island, and for less than half the money, I could get a good rock, and, yeah. and put true. a light and a laser on yeah. that. You know, very true. Yeah. So, last thing, really quick, 
Gun Talk Media has a new website, The Gresham Boys, and they've got all their TV shows on there. I was looking at it today, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know why some of these folks do these press releases. I give them all the credit in the world for their stature of where they are in the industry, but do we need a press release about your new site? I don't know. Let's ask the media guy. Let's ask the media guy. Let's ask the marketing guy. Remso, what do you think? You, you know, when it comes to press releases, the only people that typically read them are your competition. Um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> putting it out is fine, but it's not like a major thing. If they want to do it, it won't hurt them. It shows that unlike, you know, the whole Springfield incident, at least their marketing guy is working. So. <laughs> right. Their marketing guy is working. Very good. All right. That's a good point. Uh, uh, Paul, I, you know, we've got a, a pretty good website, our network. We've got a really good, you know, you. I like the way it works. Uh, too much stuff on a website, uh, you know, studies have shown that people do not function well on websites that are very busy. Right. Right. I worked hard on our website. I, I got. I, I don't mean to blow my own horn, but that's that's my baby. Um, I set that up, and, and and I've worked hard on it, and it's to the point now where it, it works on itself. I don't I don't have to do a whole lot for it, but uh, well, yeah, you've got all uh, of us doing the work, so it well, just, yeah. just made it pretty easy. Well, just need some more fancy emojis on it. I have to worry about that. <laughs> I, I I missed that. What was that, Remzo? Oh, well, my producer, Ryan, handles all of that. So I, you know, yeah. hands off that portion. Yeah, but uh, I, I've not seen Gresham's new website. I've seen the press release, but unlike some of his competition, I really don't, you know, I don't consider you guys competition. Obviously, we're all on the same network, but even people that aren't on our, on our network, I don't consider them, them competition. I consider them compatriots. And, yeah. uh, and I, I hope everybody in the gun world does good because that means by you know, a rising tide floats all boats. So by extension, we, we all do well. Yeah. So I mean, good on them for having a new site. Uh, if I get a chance to check it, I will. I just, you know, I, I got to be honest. I don't listen to Tom Gresham because he's so good. When I listen to him and I do my show, I hear hints of Tom Gresham in me. And I do not want to be Tom Gresham. I want to be Paul Waythrop. Right. That's a good point. A good, great point. That's a great point. Great point. Gil, have you seen uh, Gresham's new website yet? No, I have not. No. Uh, I'm, I'm probably probably the only person who hasn't seen the press release or looked at the website. So. I have to start sending you press releases then. There <laughs> <laughs> Oh, just uh, sign up to the Shot Show once. You'll get press releases from everybody forever. Oh, yeah. You well, will. you know, I was getting to that. I was hoping we could pull Gil along with us this year. Uh, I finally got Greg to come this past year, so you know, I figured uh, maybe I'll, I'll be two for two. We'll see. Well, I'd be for it. <laughs> see, I'm going to be two for two. Uh, it's a lot of fun. About that's going to about do it for the show. I want to give everybody a chance to promote, uh, talk about what they're doing. So, Remso, you first talk about the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. 
Uh, everyone who's tuning in, thanks so much for listening tonight. If you think that I'm a little bit funny or you like the type of trend that I'm going with, you go ahead and learn more about my show at www.remsorepublic.com. That's R-E-M-S-O republic.com. We've got a new show every Wednesday and Saturday. And while we only have about three episodes left of our current season, season two, we will be back on July 5th with season three. We have uh, Chuck Dixon, the creator of Bane from the Batman comics, coming out. We have my good friend Jordan Stein from Gun Owners of America, who's going to be talking about the current push for constitutional carry. We've got uh, comedian Joey DePazio and a couple other libertarian activists coming on. It's going to be great. You can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and as always, the Self-Defense Radio Network. So go ahead and check us out. You can find the show on Facebook and Twitter if you want to meet up with me and my producer, Ryan. And, uh, you know, we're always looking for more people to come on and hang out. So definitely check us out. And I can tell you, I caught a couple of shows this past week. He's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And I had no idea he was only 22. I thought he was like 29 or 30. He's awesome. Listen to him. Okay. All right. Gil, uh, talk about uh, your instruction classes at NSR Firearms Training. Let everybody know where they could get you in the uh, greater Arizona area. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, owner of, and operator of NSR uh, Training LLC, uh, firearms training for people, uh, you know, for affordable firearms training for people who can't spend a lot for like gun sight or anything like that. Uh, do uh, basic orientation all the way up to advanced defense on pistol, rifle, and shotgun. Um, I got a website. It's uh, www.nsrtraining.com. Uh, you can reach me there. Um, I do need to do some updating on it, but uh, the new phone number is 818-219-2834, and my uh, email is gbrumana at nsrtraining.com. As well as that, I do I, I do also do firearm modifications to. Uh, polymer frame guns, which include Glocks and uh, Rugers and anything that has a polymer frame, I can I can modify. Um, I do have a Facebook page that's dedicated to that, as well as some firearms reviews and whatnot else. That Facebook page is NSR Firearms and Gun Media, and you can check that out. I've got pictures of some of the work I do and some other stuff on there. And um, also co- uh, connections from there over to my regular website and my phone number. So check it out and then give me a call in the greater Phoenix area. Maybe he can make my Glock look as good as my uh, Belgian high power. Oh, no, I don't know about that. <laughs> but he's well, a good man. I can certainly good man I check out. out some of the pictures. He's a good I man. Check that. him out. Uh Paul Lathrop, you are the Lazarus that sits over all of us, and you point the finger, and we do. So talk about the network and talk about politics and guns, because let me tell you something. I didn't, like, start tuning in until about 370. Uh, I wish I had the first 369. Well, uh, let's – first of all, I want to say to you, Bill, congratulations on number 150. we Thank just you. had an anniversary ourselves, and and folks, you, you the listeners may not know what a really big deal these anniversaries are, but they are a very big deal. 
And uh, I know it's a big deal for you, and congratulations on the on, on number 150. I'm glad to be on your show at number 150. Um, Thank you, Paul. The uh, Self Defense Radio Network. Bob May and I came uh, came up with the idea for that. It's uh, it's grouping like-minded podcasts, and with the real uh, the real be- the benefit for the podcasters is the help of cross promotion and the help we can provide. Uh, with some other things that is, that's a bit slow to develop, but that will be coming along. Uh, but it, we have 12 shows on the network right now, and uh, you can look at any of them and listen to most of them. And you can get to their websites if you can't listen to them right on selfdefenseradio.net by going there and by uh, clicking onto their sites. My show, the Polite Society Podcast, we are. Uh, well, we're, we're a microcosm of the network, really. What I started off doing was something like what Remso is doing. I was a hot fryer brand, and, man, I wanted to get Obama voted out of office five years ago when he was up for a re-election. That didn't work so hot, but mm-hmm. I got this little show going. I was putting out three episodes a week, and then it fell to two, and then it fell to one. And right now, for the next about month, we're going to be doing an every other week schedule because of my personal uh, problems on the road and getting home time to edit and put shows out. But we are going back to a weekly show probably starting in, in late June, early July. But, yeah, it's it's what the Polite Society podcast is. I have five amazing people that help my wife and I out, and it's a whole bunch of people from a whole bunch of different walks of life talking about the – politics around guns and talking about our, our biggest uh, draw for our show is we do a defensive gun use segment every week. And we talk about real people using firearms to defend themselves in the real world, what they do right, what they do wrong. And uh, you can catch that at politesocietypodcast.com. Or like I said, go to in, in, for any of the shows on the network, you can go to selfdefenseradio.net and check them out there. And, Paul, please give your lovely wife, Susan, my regards. I certainly will. All right. Um, Greg, that leaves you and me. So your final thoughts, Greg? Uh, well, I'm just, I do the read. I'm just glad we made it this far. And uh, <laughs> thanks to all the guests for uh, being on with us tonight. It, uh, it takes a lot to... Um, organize something like this and i appreciate all you guys uh taking time out of your busy schedule to come and uh be with us and uh i hope we can do 150 more me too and i have one more thing to add before i do the the reads at the close of the show uh we had a third member of this team uh up until about two years ago and we decided to part ways uh it wasn't all that amicable so I stretched my hand out being a, a good Messianic Jew, and I reached out to our former partner, Hans Josens, and I asked him, Hans, would you like to come back on for number 150? And he was very touched by the fact that Greg and I stretched out the offer, but because of personal things going on in his life, uh, mostly medical, uh, his health isn't that good, unfortunately. He declined, but um, he said maybe for 200 if I'm feeling better. And I said, we'll keep that open. We'll keep that option open. So with that, 
uh, I want to thank all you guys for being with us tonight. I, I deeply appreciate it. And, uh, Paul, especially your kind words. Thank you very much. Uh, Gil, I'll, we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks. And, uh, Remso, uh, consider me for a guest down in the future. Totally, man. Totally. All right. Well, that's going to about do it. We're going to be O-U-T out. Good night, folks. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting remzorepublic.com.